Good morning, everybody. Guess what? It's raining again. Praise the Lord. Wow. There was a time a few months ago we thought it would never rain, and now we're wondering when it's going to stop. But I tell you what, every drop has a purpose, and every drop is a blessing, and so we just thank the Lord for that. And we thank the Lord that you're here on this cool, rainy Sunday morning, the last Sunday in October. We are thankful that you've joined us here at Cross Timber for worship. I hope you've had opportunity to welcome folks around you as we, we sang together. If you are visiting this morning, it is our great pleasure to have you here. Um, there's a, a little card that I dropped right over there on the ground. Um, it's light tan, but it's, it's shaped like a rectangle, and it's a connect card. It's a great way for you to share information. If you have prayer requests, just list them on there. Let us know if it's okay to send that out over email. Um, if there's questions you have or if you need to update contact information or you just want to say, hey, I don't get emails, how do I get emails? Just list that on the card. We're going to pass it in a few 
when we pass the offering plate in just a few moments, um, we'll collect those. Um, just hope that you um, enjoy the service. We're going to sing together in just a moment. And then after we sing a couple songs, we're going to read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you're going to find that place in your Bible, um, you'll be ready when that time comes. But again, I just want to welcome you in the name of the Lord to um, Cross Timber today. Would you stand with us and sing? It's so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word Just to rest upon his promise Just to know the safe of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, Hebrews 1.3.
attention Whose power can't be questioned or contained The top of all fame He rules the earth and heavens His glory knows no measure or refrain and it's bursting past the borderline to say Thank you. You may be seated. Let's read God's word together this morning. First Corinthians chapter two, verse one, Paul says, and I when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among mature, we do not impart wisdom. We do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, who, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Gentlemen, will you come and take our offering this morning? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for your presence in our service this morning. Thank you for allowing us to gather. We pray that you would continue to speak to us as we worship. We want to pause now and say thank you for all that you've given us. And we want to give back a portion of what you have blessed us with during this time. We thank you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
I've scaled all the highest of mountains And I've stood at the edge of their peak But I still couldn't see to the edge of your love for me And I walked on the wildest of waters And I've sunk to the depths of the sea but I still couldn't fathom the depths of your love for me. Canyons wide, oceans deep, can't contain all your love for me. No matter how high or far I reach, there's no
If you're watching the World Series, um, you may or may not have be aware of a truth in baseball that good pitching beats good hitting, and that's what we saw last night. And I was thinking about the immortal quote from manager Ron Washington about the game of baseball, who would often say, that's the way baseball go. And sometimes excitement one night turns into disappointment, but it's seven games, two are down, there's five to go, and whoever you're rooting for, um, and even if it's not the Rangers, um, I love you anyway, um, but you have to understand 2001, you won, um, we haven't, and so it's our turn, and um, so, and it's a good thing Merrill can't pitch again until game six, so we've got some business to do between now and then, so uh, you know, we are excited about um, things that happen in relation to baseball and football and basketball, and, and since the Cowboys won't ever seem to get their act together. Our hope is in the stars and the rangers, um, I think, for the, for the near future. Well, this morning, um, we're not going to continue to talk about baseball or sports, but we are going to continue on looking at the series we started last week about widening our hearts, a look at the ministry that God has given us of reconciliation, how when we're controlled by the Spirit, when we're overwhelmed by the love of Jesus, when we take time to remember that God accepts us and loves us as we are, that when we have opportunity to meet others, we meet them where they're at, we long in our hearts for God's grace to transform their lives, and we choose to love them because God loves us and God loves other people like no one else can and will. And last week we talked about holy ambition, how we could be encouraged by the future hope of heaven and a new body, to live a life that pleases God. And this week, it's about the power of love. With all the rain that's been falling, um, I, I was thinking about the power of water. You know, the flow of water can, can cut things, it can cleanse things, it can be harnessed and create electricity. Um, around here locally, rain falls, creeks overflow, streets flood, things wash away. Dirt, tree limbs, other objects, cars, even bridges in some instances, even though I don't know of any here locally. And sometimes, if you're caught in that current, there's no choice but to just go with the flow. But I would argue that love is ultimately more powerful than rushing water. In fact, the writer Solomon in Song of Solomon writes that many waters can't quench love. And rivers can't sweep it away. Huey Lewis wrote these words, The power of love makes the world go round. That's the power, that's the power of love. Shout out to 1985 and um, back to the future. But you know, God's love changes hearts, even the very hardest hearts. God's love leads people out of fear, out of the bonds of addiction, out of pride and selfishness, and into a life that is new and living, full of hope and purpose. And it's God's love that activates His messengers to go out and to share the good news. And so the main idea I want to communicate today, hopefully, is that when we're, we're motivated by God's love, we offer the hope of Jesus to as many hurting people as 
possible that with the motivation of love, the love of God behind us, we go out into the places that we go, to the people that we see, and we offer the hope of Jesus to as many hurting people as possible. 2 Corinthians is where we find ourselves. We looked at the first 10 verses of chapter 5 last week. We'll pick up there in verse 11. We'll read down just through verse 15. Um, We'll pray, and then we'll look at these verses together as we think about this power of love that motivates us and moves us. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 starts with, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, died and was raised. Will you join me as we pray? Jesus, we thank you for the morning that we have. We thank you for the songs that that lift up your name. We thank you for the word that speaks of you on every page, from Genesis to Revelation. We thank you for the personal nature of who you are, that not only do you love us, but that you, by faith, indwell us by your Holy Spirit. And so we trust your presence is with us this morning because your presence is in us. So Lord, teach us by your word as we look at it together today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verses 11 through 15, Paul is sharing his motivation for ministry to the Corinthians for the purpose that they could provide a defense to those that were standing against Paul. Now if you know much about Paul, his enemies constantly um, were accusing him. They would say that he was weak. They would say that he was that his ministry was was just not the quality of theirs. And so he chose to defend himself not based on his qualifications, but based on his calling that he was called by the love of Christ to be God's messenger. This Paul who was transformed from the persecutor and the hater of Christians to the lover of all men. And he made it his lifelong commitment to preach Christ crucified, Christ risen. Because he had been transformed by God's love. He became a preacher and when he was just a, a persecutor. He was determined in his ministry to be all things to all people with the hope that he might save some. He endured hardship and persecution. We can read the lists there in his his letter. He was committed to pray, to resisting the devil, to partner with others in ministry, and do what he was able to do with the time he had available to persuade as many women and men as possible to put their faith and hope in Christ. Because he was convinced that Jesus loved him, died for him, and he loved and died for everyone else. And so controlled, and we'll look at that in a minute, 
by the love of Christ, he was committed to evangelizing or spreading the good news about Jesus everywhere he went. So I want us to hopefully see that motivation that God puts in the hearts of believers by his love so we can offer that same hope to as many hurting people as possible. There's an outline in the middle of your bulletin. Hopefully it's easy to follow, but we'll look at the the idea of evangelism using the word persuasion. We'll look at the fact that love is a motivation, and then we'll realize our purpose, and finally we'll draw a few conclusions as we close. But I want us to see the first thing there is that Paul says his ministry was a ministry of persuasion, the persuasion or persuading of men and women. Now, if you follow the flow of chapter 5, you see that this is balanced by two things, a healthy fear of God, which we'll talk about here in just a second, and the love of Christ. And we talked about that last week, that putting God in his proper place, having the proper perspective of who God is and what his word means, the Proverbs writer tells us is what? The beginning of wisdom. So square one on the game board of life and following after God is having a healthy respect for God. Now, when we say that word fear, we always have to remember that it's a a fearful reverence, as some people like to describe it. It's not debilitating terror. Now, you've probably been in those situations where you're almost too scared to move. But we understand that God is worthy of our respect. He is to be feared in the sense that those who choose not to follow Jesus will face his judgment. But his ways are good, he is good, he's holy, and he has a plan and a purpose for every man and woman. Now, I don't know about y'all, it's cool weather outside, and I I like fire. Um, I like building campfires, I like watching campfires, and I learned from a very young age, I think it was probably in Cub Scouts, you know, that, that fire was a tool to be respected, and if we properly managed it, we didn't really have reason to fear it. But we always had to be mindful of the fact that it was fire. And, and so it wasn't a toy. It wasn't to be played with. And so we took steps to know about fire, to learn how to start fires, to have proper fire safety, and to use you know, the right methods and have the right attitude toward fire. And that no matter what, we couldn't let our guard down. We couldn't just you know, say, oh, there's a fire. It'll take care of itself. And so there's a healthy respect we should have for fire. And we understand from reading the Bible that Paul had a healthy respect for God. He knew God personally, and he respected him. He knew what? That he would one day stand before God to give an account for his ministry. What he did with the calendar days that he had on this earth. But he also knew, because he feared God, that anyone apart from Christ would face a different kind of judgment. They would stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They would hear the Lord say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And so motivated by this fear, understanding that he was accountable to God and other people are accountable as well, he was motivated to do the mission that Jesus sent him to do. The mission that is our mission today, to be his witnesses as Acts tells us, and to go and make disciples, as Matthew 28 calls us. Along with that healthy fear, it's the understanding that we need to have of the urgency. 
we have been since Jesus was resurrected in what the Bible calls the last days. That the time is short. That there is no certainty of tomorrow. I love what um, one um, minister, his name is Rico Tice, it's kind of a cool name, says about that. That every day is a good day because what? It's one day closer to when Jesus returns. But on the other side of that coin is one day less that the people that live near us, the people that we know, the people that we come in contact with, it's one day less that they have for someone. Because God chose some ones, not some things, to go and share with them the good news about Jesus. And so there is an urgency. Knowing that the fear of the Lord, that word needs to be fully aware, eyes wide open to the surroundings. To understand that there is a responsibility that we have. And it's not because we feel guilty or because we're that good on the inside. It's because God has placed His Spirit in us that we are compelled to do this. Think about mothers. Mothers, it's, it's God has built into them the idea of nurture and, and care. Fathers, the idea of, of protection, of doing those manly things. And by the Spirit that God places in us, we have this urgency, this desire to see other people come to know Jesus, to escape the penalty of sin and to live a life full of hope and excitement. And so knowing the fear of the Lord helps us to understand our responsibility because we realize the fate of those that are apart from Jesus. Now, you probably read that word, we persuade others, and you thought, well, persuasion. I think, you know, I may have heard about a persuasive speaking class in, in school, or maybe I was in that in 4-H or FFA, you know, where you use clever words, you use fancy arguments, you try to overwhelm them with your personality to choose what you want them to choose. The word manipulation comes into mind. But when we read these words, I want us to think about persuasion, not manipulation. The word is straightforward. Most every translation has the word persuade. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. When we come to words like that, that we know that have a meaning attached to them that may be different than what Scripture says, sometimes we just kind of shy away or we insert a synonym. But I, I left the word persuade there because that's what it says. And when we come to those, we can, we can ignore it, just skip over it. We can explain it away, or we can seek to understand it. But if we trust it's there because God intended it to be there, and hopefully you do, then let's see what that word persuasion means. The, the word there, the root word in Greek, means to be confident of something, to be persuaded or to obey. Used as a verb, it almost always means to persuade. The Amplified helps us. It says, you know, we speak in order to win people over. And so Paul's goal when he spoke was to show that Jesus was the true Messiah to those of Jewish background and that he was the only way to salvation to the Gentiles, to everyone else, that he was the only name under heaven and earth for which men could be saved. So how did Paul persuade people? 
We read in 1 Corinthians earlier, we'll read that verse in just a minute, that it wasn't from fancy speech. No, he used the Scriptures. He taught. He shared his testimony. He spoke boldly. He reasoned with others. He used examples that were relevant to the culture. You see him there on the Areopagus with the men of Athens. He defended the faith. And he explained Scripture. He taught Scripture. He preached from Scripture. And listen again to how he did that. 1 Corinthians 2. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, if you speak on behalf of the Lord, that should make you go, thank you, Jesus. Because it's not based on vocabulary. It's not based on how many big words you know, how wonderfully you can speak, how creatively you can gather thoughts. But it's simply carefully choosing words and lovingly sharing them. Because our idea, we don't want to impress or coerce someone. It's not manipulation. We present the truth. We trust God's Word. We trust God's Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And that's open up eyes, to open up minds and hearts. But always remember, when you share about Jesus, and I hope you do, when you share the gospel, your words matter. It's important. What you speak matters. But you have to remember that your words are your words. And it's God's words that are living, life-giving, and transformational. Your attitude is important. You know, we should be happy, joyful spreaders of seed. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit is God's We share the truth. And we let God do the work. Along with that, we have to make sure that we're sincere, not artificial. Paul constantly had to defend his motive in ministry. And we see that he had pure motive. He sought to bring followers of Jesus, not followers of Paul. He spoke the truth in love. He spoke hard things when he needed to. He spoke creatively. Looking around at a statue there in Athens and said, hey, you know, guys, there's a statue there that says to an unknown God. Let me tell you who that unknown God is. Guys, you can have that kind of conversation at the dinner table with family. You can have it at a restaurant. Praying, trusting in God to give you the word and then opening up your mouth and speaking. See, his ministry was sincere. We see in the verses there that before God's eyes, the one he feared, he saw himself as blameless. And before the Corinthians that he ministered to, he saw himself as coming to them for their benefit. If you look at the last part of verse 11, it says, but what we are is known to God. He's an open book. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. So he recognizes that what? First of all, God sees everything, so there's no sense in trying to hide stuff. There's no need to put up pretense. 
And he hopes that the Corinthians, the church he's writing to, sees that as well. You see, unlike the opponents, the people that constantly criticized Paul, Paul wasn't seeking to receive personal commendation or financial reward for his ministry. I mean, if you don't believe me, how many people would boast in their weakness if they were trying to create a following? No, he boasted in the power of Christ in him. He trusted in that strength that was made perfect in his weakness. He put no value in outward appearance. We don't know what Paul looked like, but I have a feeling he was just an average Joe that you would probably think, gosh, that's Paul. I mean, in fact, from what you read in there, people, when they thought, that's Paul? But when they saw the treasure in the jar of clay, that he was focused on the heart of the matter, they couldn't deny the fact that this man that was the Pharisee of Pharisees was now a bondservant of Christ. I think some good reminders for you and I as we think about this, because it can be intimidating to talk about Jesus, is that you don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be flashy. You don't need to be trendy. You don't need to appear to be super spiritual. You just need to be you with Jesus. This is how I was. This is what God did, and this is who I am. That's your testimony. And then you follow it up with, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. We all have this problem called sin, but Jesus died in our place so we could be free from sin and have life eternal. He rose from the dead so we could live eternally with Him. Hey, you want to trust Him? Some words that might be encouraging if you think about, you know, the fact that if you're very intimidated thinking, I'm just not good enough, I'm not impressive enough to go out and tell people about Jesus need those evangelist guys like the Billy Grahams to come around. Him by the Gettys. Think about this. My worth is not in what I own. Not in strength of flesh and bone. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flows at the cross. Paul had plenty of things he could have boasted about to make himself seem super spiritual. I mean, hello, think about the whole idea of this man. I know a man that was taken up to the third heaven. In humility, he doesn't say, hey, it was me. Guess what? Come tonight, 6 o'clock, I'm going to tell you about my third heaven experience. No. He talks about it. Paul says he spoke in tongues more than anyone else, but he never exalted that over anyone. He never said, you know what? I'm the tongue speaker. Come listen to me and come trust in Jesus. No. He chose to boast about his favorite subject. Grandparents love to boast about their grandkids. Paul loved to boast about his own ministry. To preach Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ coming again. See, what the world needs is not a, a showy display of super spirituality. The world just needs you to be you where you are in Christ, filled with the Spirit and bearing fruit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because you know what? It doesn't matter what the tree looks like. 
The real question is, does the tree bear fruit? Persuasion. Second, the power of love. The phrase there, the love of Christ controls us. Other translations use the word compel, urge, or grips us. Literally, the word means to be held together. Um, It's the idea of being hemmed in on both sides. If you've ever walked down a narrow passageway with walls on either side, like an alleyway, a narrow alley, if you've ever walked through a cavern where the sides are up close against you, this is the picture here. It's a traveler traveling down a narrow passage, wall on both sides. They're unable to turn around. The only choice they have is to go forward. If you enjoy livestock illustrations, think about a a cow or a bull in a loading chute. Forward is the only good option. Now, there's some help along the way sometimes to keep them moving forward. But the idea is there's no turning right or left. There's no turning back. It's only moving forward. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase, says that it's the very spring of our action, the love of Christ. It's what presses us on and moves us forward. That you can be so surrounded or hemmed in by the love of Christ that the only thing you can do is go on ahead with Him. Why? Because it's the power of His love at work redeeming us. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, transforming us. If anyone be in Christ, He's a new creation, keeping us, motivating us, and then empowering us to do what God has called us to do. Go and make disciples of the promise of what I am with you always. To be His witnesses, knowing that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. That's free Pentecost, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when he says, you'll be my witnesses, we have his Spirit in us. It's the power of Christ's great love that led him to the cross, that raised him from the empty tomb. And Paul says it this way, one has died for all. Now I want you to see in verses 14 and 15, three times you have reference to the death of Jesus. One has died for all. He died for all, and then him who for our for their sake died and was raised. Because the power of God's love was shown in the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus Christ, and in the fact that he didn't remain dead, he was raised. And so you can think of it this way Jesus died for all that all might be saved through him impact that a little bit more. He he died for all men and women without distinction. No class distinctions, no race distinctions, no language distinctions, no economic distinctions. He died for all men and women. Now, that does not mean that everyone is automatically saved. That's universalism. Everybody gets in. No, but It also doesn't mean that he died for just a select few. What it does mean is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved because Jesus died that all might be saved. And so Jesus died so that every person that chooses to trust in him by faith 
to put to death their flesh, to no longer live for themselves, and to choose to live for Christ. You see, Paul also says there in Jesus, you die to your old self. His conclusion at the end, one hath died for all, therefore all have died. It seems confusing at first. We got one side of the comma. What about the other side? What in the world does that mean? I think we get close to the understanding when we understand that on the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin. Sin no longer has to be our master. That he paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the ransom for our sin. And with faith in Jesus, we no longer live as a slave to sin and a slave to self. But we have, by our free choice, a new master. And so one has died for all that. Jesus, therefore, all have died, dying to self, choosing to live for Jesus. You know, when Paul looked back and considered the sufferings of Christ, his death on the cross, it helped him to put his own sufferings in perspective. If we put almost any of our lives up against Paul, we think, oh, poor Paul. But Paul counted all those things as light and momentary. Paper cut in the scheme of eternity compared to the eternal weight of glory, the excruciating pain, the bearing of sin, the sacrificial death, that Jesus faced. And so it put his ministry, his suffering in perspective, but it also gave him a motivation for ministry. One commentator said, Paul ministered to all because Jesus loved all and died for all. Think of it this way. No matter where you go, no matter who you see, you will never, ever look into the eye of someone who is not loved by God created in his image, and you'll never come across one person that you'll look in the face and see that Jesus did not die for you. That's the power of love. It changes lives. It motivates us to go out and share that good news with others. And it brings us to the last point that's connected to what we just finished talking about, that it's the power of God's love that leads us to persuade men and women about the truth of God's Word and the Gospel, but it also defines the purpose for our lives. In easy terms, it's this. It's living for Christ, not ourselves. Your life isn't your own. You were bought with a price. Verse 15 says, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for, the sake, for their sake died and was raised. There's three phrases in there that we need to think about. No longer live for themselves. That when we trust in Christ, we die to self in Christ. And our life now is Christ or in Christ. Living the Christ life, living the the wonderful life of being filled with the Spirit. Major Ian Thomas, British evangelist, 
just summarizes it this way, and I think it's so concise and so wonderful. It's the life that Jesus lived then, lived now by him through you. Quote Paul in Colossians, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we no longer live for ourselves, we live for Christ. And the next two define the purpose of our lives for him or for Christ. You see, as we walk with Jesus, we learn to say no to self and yes to him. And we make it our aim above all else to please him. We experience the wonderful power of his love. We share that love with others. We work for our master. He's the good master. And he has good things. We do it for Christ. We do it for their sake or for others. We already talked about it, that Jesus died for all. But think of it this way. Jesus died for all the others in your life. All the others in the world. Every person. Every place. He's calling us to live for his sake. He's calling us to live not for the benefit of ourselves, but for the benefit of others. And it's his love that motivates us, that pushes us forward to share the powerful truth that can still transform lives. Jesus died to save us from the power and the penalty of sin. He was raised from the dead so that we could have new, abundant, eternal life in the here and now and have an eternal home with him after we die. And anyone who puts their trust in Jesus will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And this was so beautifully and eloquently spoken just a couple of weeks ago when Brother Ragesh spoke. It's the simple question. Would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And do you remember his refrain? And they said yes. Earlier I mentioned water. Powerful. And when it flows, things can happen. But love is so much more powerful. Transforms hearts, forgives sin, brings new life, motivates us to be witnesses for the name of Jesus. You see, motivated by love, we offer the hope of Jesus to as many hurting people as possible. I don't think anyone here was around in 1912, but in 1912, two gentlemen, James Rowe and Howard Smith, combined to write the melody and the lyrics to a classic hymn of faith. His daughter, Mr. Rowe's daughter, describes the moment, says she could look back and see them now, his, her father striding up and down, humming a bar or two, and Mr. Smith playing it and jotting it down. And the two huddled together, worked line by line, bar by bar, and composed the hymn together. The first verse speaks about God's redemption. The second speaks about the change that is brought about by love, and the third brings about the, the motivation by love to go and share the gospel with others. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. 
All my heart to Him I give. Ever to Him I'll cling. In His blessed presence live. Ever His praises sing. Love so mighty and so true merits my soul to belong. Faithful, loving servitude to Him belong. Souls in danger. Look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by His love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea. Billows His will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be be saved. As we draw to a close, how can we, you and me, right here, 2023, just a couple of months left, how can we let the power of God's love propel us out into the world where so many people need to hear the hope of the gospel? Let me give you four quick reminders of process things that we need to remember and think through. The first thing is pray for yourself and the other person. Pray. Pray that God would use you to be a witness, that God would give you the guts to step up and be a witness, and then when fear comes and the, and the temptation is there to just talk about something else or kind of just move around to the side in your conversation, that God would give you the spirit, the courage, the power of His love in you to move forward and to speak and to open your mouth. Pray for the other person. Pray out. Think, God, you know I'm going to run into people today. You know who the people are. I know some of them are. You know who they are, and you know they don't know Jesus. Pray for them by name. Sometimes just one word, one situation can give you the inroad. So pray for them by name, but also pray for the people that you come in contact with that you don't know. God, there's going to be somebody out there, and God, just give me the opportunity. Ready my heart, ready their heart, and as we come together. So pray. Second thing is be yourself. We talked about it earlier. Um, there is the particular gift of evangelists that is talked about, and we know those folks. They're the the Billy Grahams, the Greg Lorries, the Luis Palau's to stand up in front and call people to Christ. But I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Greg Laurie. You're not either. So we we're ourselves. It's just you and Jesus. You're who you're, you are because God made you that way. You've been transformed because of the love of Jesus. And that's what you've got. Be yourself. Just be a friend. Be a neighbor. And then tell your story as you have opportunity. Now these steps get progressively more difficult. I will honestly admit. It's easy to pray for people. It's easy to be yourself most times. It's even, it's a little bit more challenging, but it's okay to, you know, sometimes we have no problem telling our story. But just in plain, simple words, tell it. This is what, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did. This is who I am now. That's a testimony. You can do it in a couple of minutes. If you get much longer than that, um, you may have them checking their phone or looking at their watch, unless you have a really engaging story, which some of you might, mine's not really that exciting. Um, that Jesus changed my life. But tell your story. But then the last thing, stick to the gospel. Here's where I'll admit, this is where the person leaves, I chicken out, or something else happens. You get to that point where it's, okay, let's talk about Jesus. You know, where you say, you know, this is who I was, this is what Jesus did, this is who I am now. And then you begin to tell them about 
the love of God. The fact that we all have this problem called sin, but God had a remedy for sin from the very beginning in the sacrifice of His one and only Son, Jesus, that died on the cross. And because He died on the cross, we don't have to suffer the penalty of death for our sin, but we choose, when we choose to put our trust in Him, we have the opportunity to enjoy eternal life. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Do you want to trust Jesus as your Savior today? And they said, yes. So pray, be yourself, tell your story, get to the gospel. It really is that simple. I just realized I didn't read the chorus to the song earlier. But what a great way to end. Why don't y'all sing it with me? Love lifted me, love lifted me, when... Father, we can't help but be blown away every time we're reminded of your great love for us. That's the love that you showed to us in the fact that Jesus died for us. We know a little bit about sacrificing things for love, giving up of our time and our resources, but The wonder of you giving your life for us. Great demonstration of your love. Such a wonderful testimony to us. The power of your love lifts men out of the pit of sin and despair. It lifts us above the fears, the worries, the temptations, and the challenges of this world. It lifts us to be the sons and daughters you called us to be. Lord, help us to get so far that it shouldn't be. But help us to move ourselves out of the way. Lord, to let you live your life through us where it becomes a more and more regular practice in our lives. Pray up in the morning ourselves, tell our story, our testimony, and we could tell people about Jesus because they need to know. And it would be about your business, making disciples, being your witnesses, and offering the hope of Jesus to as many hurting people as possible. Jesus is our and those that are called by you to be your light in darkness, to be your ministers of hope to the hopeless. And with your help, we trust we'll do it. Pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
to take a couple of minutes to respond to the truth of God's word. Maybe it's that point where you've never really understood that Jesus died for you. You just thought, you know, maybe I was always, my mom was, my dad was, but you never realized, okay, Jesus died for me and I put my trust in him and I have life. Maybe it's the day of salvation for you. Maybe it's just a renewal and a reminder that, oh yeah, I used to do that. I was excited about that. But for whatever reason, for busyness, for you know, fear or whatever, I've kind of got off track. But Jesus, I'm getting back on track. I want to be your witness. Maybe when you think about that word evangelism, it's just like so gripped with fear and the worry of like, okay, what are people going to think? What am I going to do? I can't do this. And I just pray that starting today and maybe even tomorrow that, that you'll take that first step. Pray in the morning expecting God to put you in contact with someone. Being yourself, telling your story, and then getting to Jesus, getting to the Father. Maybe there's a burden on your heart and you need to lift up before the Lord. You can do that quietly where you're seated. You can come down the front. The altar is open. The piano is going to play quietly and trust the Lord speak to us and that we respond as He speaks. Lord, let's do together. Amen. Amen. Let me just remind you of three things before we have opportunity to sing together. First thing, it's our fifth Sunday in October, which means fellowship. I want to invite you to join us tonight in a, a warm place away from the cold weather at 6 o'clock. Um, bring your favorite um, fall snack or dessert and join us um, in the youth building Um I thought of it this way. I thought, you know, when we meet in here, this is kind of like the uh, the dining room. But I'm going to invite you to join us out in the living room, um, which um, is a little more laid back, and it'll be a little easier to uh, do things. We will enjoy snacks together. We'll also have um, warm drinks provided. So we'll have coffee, hot chocolate, apple cider, and we will have um, sugar-free and dairy-free options. So... Um, well, caffeine-free, too. You can, just, you can drink water if you want. Um, you, can have, you can have clear if you want. Um, 
So um, join us 6 o'clock, and um, here's, that's one part, bring something, come. But second is come be in, uh, to be ready to share a testimony. It's always good to hear from members of the body about what God is doing. And so it'll be a very informal time. Um, it'll be an enjoyable time. And hopefully, you know, like you would have conversation in your living room, we'll join together in our living room and just listen and hear what God is up to. So that's one. Fellowship tonight, 6 o'clock. Next week. Don't forget time change. Because our government can't figure out whether they want to do it or they don't want to do it or the president just doesn't have the guts to sign it, I don't know what it is. We're still in this daylight savings time thing, unless you live in Arizona, um, which I don't know if that's going to come into play with the World Series. I hope not. Um, but here's the, here's the thought. Next week, time change. Remember, it's spring forward, fall back. So, courtesy of the reluctance of our government to make a decision about it, we get another hour of sleep if you take advantage of it. Just don't forget when you go to bed, just set your clock back one hour, because if not, you're going to be really confused when you wake up the next morning. So that's next Sunday. It officially happens at 2 o'clock. Just set it when you go to bed. Join us here. The last thing, um, just to invite you again um, to our, our Wednesday night um, prayer meeting. Um, you may notice a change in the bulletin. Um, we've aligned it with our Embrace Grace, so it's now at 6 o'clock instead of 6.30. And then also, if you want to just come and join and pray, not only for our church, but for Bible, but also whether you're here or there, please continue to pray for the four um, young ladies that are in Embrace Grace. Um, the, um, you know, they're, they're very unique, as we all are unique. Um, they all have different needs, but we are trusting that through this ministry that God is going to work and to, to move. And because of just the generosity of, of so many people, um, I think that... I think the shower that is going to happen, I think all the, the, big, the gifts are going to be covered. And so um, we look forward to that in just a few weeks. And so um, if you think about that, pray for those four girls. Pray for, for Grace, for Tana, for Tatiana, and for Mackenzie. So Grace, Tatiana, Tana, and Mackenzie. Let's pray for them by the name of the Lord. The lines that the Lord would speak to them. We're finished. So I would like us to sing together. I thank you for worshiping this morning. And um, so I just join, ask you to join in standing. The worship team is going to start playing and singing. And after we sing this song together, um, you're dismissed. The Lord bless you. Mm-hmm.